Welcome to the PRI Review, brought to you by the Population Research Institute. I'm your host, Christopher Manning. Don't buy China's story. The coronavirus may have leaked from a lab. PRI President Steve Moser reports. At an emergency meeting in Beijing held last Friday, Chinese leader Xi Jinping spoke about the need to contain the coronavirus and set up a system to prevent similar epidemics in the future. A national system to control biosecurity risks must be put into place. To protect the people's health, C said, because lab safety is a national security issue. Now, C didn't actually admit that the coronavirus now devastating large swaths of China had escaped from one of the country's bioresearch labs, but the very next day evidence emerged suggesting that this is exactly what happened. As the Chinese Ministry of Science and Technology released a new directive entitled Instructions on Strengthening Biosecurity Management in Microbiology Labs that Handle Advanced Viruses Like the Novel Coronavirus. Read that again. It sure sounds like China has a problem keeping dangerous pathogens in test tubes where they belong, doesn't it? And just how many microbiology labs are there in China that handle advanced viruses like the novel coronavirus? It turns out that in all of China, there is only one. And this one is located in the Chinese city of Wuhan that just happens to be the epicenter of the epidemic. That's right. China's only level four microbiology lab that is equipped to handle deadly coronaviruses called the National Biosafety Laboratory is part of the Wuhan Institute of Virology. What's more, the People's Liberation Army's top expert in biological warfare, a Major General Chen Wei, was dispatched to Wuhan at the end of January to help with the effort to contain the outbreak. According to the PLA Daily, Chen has been researching coronaviruses since the SARS outbreak of 2003, as well as the Ebola and anthrax viruses. This would not be her first trip to the Wuhan Institute of Virology either, since it is one of only two bioweapons research labs in all of China. Now, does that suggest to you that the novel coronavirus, now known as SARS-CoV-2, may have escaped from that very lab and that Chen's job is to try to put the genie back in the bottle, as it were? It sure does to me, says Mr. Mosier. Add on to this China's history of similar incidents. Even the deadly SARS virus has escaped twice from the Beijing lab where it was and probably is being used in experiments. Both man-made epidemics were quickly contained, but neither would have happened at all if proper safety precautions had been taken. And then there is this little-known fact. Some Chinese researchers are in the habit of selling their laboratory animals to street vendors after they have finished experimenting on them. You heard me right. Instead of properly disposing of infected animals by cremation as the law requires, they sell them on the side to make a little extra cash, or, in some cases, a lot of extra cash. One Beijing researcher, now in jail, made a million dollars selling his monkeys and rats on the live animal market, where they eventually wound up in somebody's stomach.
Also fueling suspicions about SARS-CoV-2's origins is the series of increasingly lame excuses offered by the Chinese authorities as people begin to sicken and die. They first blamed a seafood market not far from the Institute of Virology, even though the first documented cases of COVD-19, now that's the illness caused by the SARS-CoV-2 virus, involved people who had never set foot there. Then they pointed to snakes, bats, and even a cute little scaly anteater called a pangolin as the source of the virus. Mr. Moser doesn't buy any of this. It turns out that snakes don't carry coronaviruses and that bats aren't sold at seafood markets. Neither, for that matter, are pangolins an endangered species valued for their scales as much as for their meat. The evidence points to SARS-CoV-2 research being carried out at the Wuhan Institute of Virology. The virus may have been carried out of the lab by an infected worker or crossed over into humans when they unknowingly dined on a lab animal. Whatever the vector, Beijing authorities are now clearly scrambling to correct the serious problems with the way their labs handle deadly pathogens. China has unleashed a plague on its own people. It's too early to say how many in China and other countries will ultimately die for the failures of their country's state-run microbiology labs. But the human cost will be high. But not to worry. Xi has assured us that he is controlling biosecurity risks to protect the people's health. PLA bioweapons experts are in charge. I doubt the Chinese people will find that very reassuring, and neither should we. This is the PRI Review from the Population Research Institute at pop.org. We'll be right back. This past October, some 10,000 leaders of the pro-abortion movement gathered in Nairobi, Kenya, They pretended that they were celebrating the 25th anniversary of a population control meeting that the United Nations held in Cairo in 1994. But the real reason was their fear that their crusade to wipe out the next generation of Africans was losing steam. And they were mad, very mad. Now, at the 1994 Cairo conference, Radical pro-abortion forces, which included the Clinton administration, by the way, were arrayed against a coalition of pro-lifers from the third world countries. A delegation representing the Holy See came on strong in favor of life and family, inspired by the vigorous support of Pope St. John Paul II. As a result, in 1994, the pro-abortion goals of that conference in Cairo were actually thwarted. Well, this time around, the population controllers stacked the deck. Their final statement in Nairobi was written before the meeting even began, and the program's goals were stark. Foremost among them, universal access to sexual and reproductive health and rights. Imagine 10,000 pro-abortion leaders gathered in Africa planning on how to eliminate more Africans. And these people are rabid advocates, not only of abortion, but of putting families and children under the control of a secular, all-powerful state 
run by the internationalists at the United Nations. Well, there was opposition, and that's where we come in. In Nairobi, Kenyan Bishop Alfred Rotich strongly criticized the pro-abortion meeting. Catholic leaders in Africa have joined other Christian leaders to raise concerns about the event's agenda, he said. It is destructive to humanity and the values around human life, and he didn't mince words. There will be about 10,000 people here, he said, and we know what they are for. They are not pro-life. They are 10,000 abortionists, end quote. Yes, the meeting was an outrage and an insult to the third world families everywhere, and the Population Research Institute decided to do something about it. So PRI sent a team to Nairobi to help lead a pro-life, pro-family alternative conference. It was held on the grounds of the Basilica of the Archdiocese, and it featured three days of presentations, discussions, and seminars. Hundreds of doctors, pro-lifers, and government officials from dozens of countries attended. PRI's own Joel Bakrath addressed a session of the alternate conference on the issue of contraception in the light of Humanae Vitae, the encyclical of St. John Paul VI. His PRI colleague, Jonathan Abamante, led a session on the myth of overpopulation, both presentations were inspired by the faith and determination of the pro-lifers who attended from all over Africa. And here's an important news note. During the conference, Mr. Bakrath delivered a brand new ultrasound machine, a gift from the Population Research Institute, to a Nairobi Crisis Pregnancy Center. Volunteer doctors and counselors volunteering in this vital effort serve women of all faiths and races. After all, Nairobi has a cosmopolitan population of more than 4 million. Now, this is just the latest chapter in PRI's efforts to help families everywhere. We have now donated ultrasound equipment and training to pregnancy centers in three African countries. But remember, we are up against... Uh, opulently funded movement that includes government agencies from several childless European countries, as well as major foundations and corporations. They are peddling contraception, abortifacients, and abortion all over Africa. These ideological colonizers are devoted indeed, not only to controlling existing populations, but to exterminating future generations throughout the third world. The Population Research Institute is working hard to save babies all over the world. Meanwhile, population planners, many of whom have no children of their own, don't want anyone else to have any either, especially if in the spirit of Planned Parenthood and Margaret Sanger, those children are black or brown. They must be prevented or exterminated. Now take heart. The people of Africa are fighting back and pregnancy centers in several African countries desperately need these ultrasound machines and training so they can help women through pregnancy and beyond. They're asking PRI for help. Will you help us help them? Just go to our website at pop.org. Once you're there, you can make a generous donation to help us get these women the help they so desperately need. Imagine the smile of joy of a mother in Africa who sees her unborn baby
for the very first time, alive and kicking on a screen that you helped bring to her bedside. Please go to pop.org and say you'll help. You'll be glad you did. As the Chinese Communist Party reels from the terror and chaos caused by the spread of the coronavirus, everybody's looking for someone else to blame for the deadly epidemic. Given the nature of China's totalitarian state, it might be years, if ever, before we know the truth. In the meantime, given the law of cause and effect, we can accurately identify the foul spirit that motivated it. And this takes us back to chapter 2 of Humanae Vitae, St. Pope Paul VI's observation that a rapid increase in population has made many fear that world population is going to grow faster than available resources. Now, there were a lot of people who bought into that fear in the 1960s and 70s and even today. And that fear can compel man to defy the church's teaching about marriage and the family that is, after all, based on the natural law as illuminated and enriched by divine revelation, Pope Paul observes. As a result, man can be tempted to assume for himself the power to regulate life, the power that belongs only to God. Now, Pope Paul wrote as the sexual revolution was exploding across the West. He wasn't naive. Yes, population controllers had already taken a firm hold on international governments and institutions, but he was also calmly and unashamedly faithful. After all, no member of the faithful, he wrote, could possibly deny that the church is competent in her magisterium to interpret the natural moral law. End quote. Well, one might observe today that such an observation renders a population of the truly faithful to a mighty small number indeed. To look at it another way, though, there are countless men who do deny the law of God and the church's right to interpret it. Absent the authority of the church or what Thomas Jefferson calls the laws of nature and of nature's God, What state will confer on every man the power and authority to be his own lawgiver? Not many, and not for long. The autonomous man, as political philosopher Gerhard Niemeyer calls him, cannot last in a lawless world. The Hobbesian condition quickly invites and even guarantees the all-powerful Leviathan. The war of all against all is one serious war. Pope Paul saw the danger of such moral chaos and warns of its consequences. Finally, he wrote in Humani Vitae number 17, careful consideration should be given to the danger of this power controlling the family and birth, passing into the hands of those public authorities who care little for the precepts of the moral law. The language isn't apocalyptic, but the prediction sure is, and in today's China, those public authorities are personified in the Communist Party of China, the CCP, under the leadership of President Xi Jinping. 
Pope Paul writes that, and I quote, marriage is far from being the effect of chance or the result of the blind evolution of natural forces. It is in reality the wise and provident institution of God the Creator. But on marriage, as in everything else, the CCP has no regard for the precepts of the moral law. The party turns Pope Paul's timeless truth upside down, and it relies on no less an authority than Karl Marx himself. Because, you see, Karl Marx was a family man. In fact, Karl Marx hated the family. He hated his own family and left them destitute while he spent countless hours in the reading room of the British Museum. But Marx hated the family that God created in his own image and likeness even more. This hatred inspired his theory of the class struggle, a vile contrivance that unleashes and empowers today's gaggle of apostles of Prometheus. That's right, the class struggle was born in the family, and Marx's desire to destroy it. We know this because after Marx's death, his collaborator, Friedrich Engels, observed that the first class opposition that appears in history, and remember the class struggle is where the evil begins. The first class opposition that appears in history coincides with the development of the antagonism between man and woman in monogamous marriage and the first class oppression. That is, the first instance of one class oppressing another in all of Marxist history coincides with that of the female sex by the male. There you have it. Since Adam and Eve, the woman has been made a slave subject to her husband. Forget Genesis. Marx manufactures his own myth and expunges the spiritual and the eternal. For Marx, woman is a mere instrument of production. The marriage act was for Marx the first division of labor. In the Marxist lexicon, God's design for man, woman, and the family is the ultimate source of evil in history. This natural and spiritual unity constitutes the bourgeois family, and Marx hated it. So he attacked the family by reducing it to a crude, one-dimensional fraud. And I quote, The bourgeoisie has torn away from the family its sentimental veil and has reduced the family relation to a mere money relation, Marx and Engels write in the Communist Manifesto. But notice, it isn't the natural family that reduces the family to a crass materialist blob, it's Karl Marx. And he does so in order to destroy the natural protection that defends the family from the state. Once that natural barrier dissolves, the state can do whatever it wants. The atomized individual has no protection because state power has no limits. The sentimental veil of divine and natural law merely serves to condone oppression. And for Marx and Xi Jinping, the laws of history give the party absolute and unlimited authority to liberate its subjects from such bourgeois exploitation. By what moral standard? Well, to paraphrase Lenin, anything that furthers the revolution is ethical. Well, that assertion of unlimited power is actually a carte blanche for the Black Death. 
Since 1979, Communist China has killed hundreds of millions of unborn children in its forced abortion program. Their excuse? The fear that Pope Paul had identified 11 years before. Why progress requires population control. Keep in mind that President Xi's Marxism with Chinese characteristics is supposed to liberate Marx's oppressed bourgeois woman. Instead, in one of the ideology's classic contradictions, Marxism has oppressed her again. Her menstrual cycle is posted in public to make things easier for the abortion enforcers. She's monitored by thought police, whose advanced technologies would make Big Brother's torturers envious. The government claims the right to kill her children, subject them to vivisection, and sell their body parts to the highest bidder. Now, by the inescapable logic of cause and effect, the party has decided that if it can kill the most innocent by the millions, it can kill anybody. And that's what brought the coronavirus known as COVID-19 to the world stage. We spoke with Stephen Moser, president of the Population Research Institute, about this. It was Steve who first exposed China's forced abortion policies in the West. Steve told us that China has all but admitted that the epidemic began when the virus escaped from the Institute of Virology in Wuhan, China. And we have the evidence. On February 14th, China's President for Life, Xi Jinping, hosted a political meeting called to address the means of stopping the epidemic and setting up a system to prevent similar outbreaks in the future. In order to protect people's health, Xi reportedly said, Biosafety should be integrated into national security. Biosecurity laws should be drafted, and a national system to control biosecurity risks should be set up. The very next day, Moser says, China's Ministry of Science and Technology released a new document entitled Guiding Opinions on Strengthening Biosecurity Management in Microbiology Labs that handle advanced viruses at the same level as the new coronavirus. Of course, the coronavirus was developed as an integral part of the party's national security, designed to use on foreign adversaries not only as a weapon, but also as a threat, Moser says. After all, the Chinese could use the virus as a very effective tool of extortion, threatening any number of world players with a pandemic offensive if they did not comply with China's demands. But now the extortion victims are China's own citizens, and the party has decided that, well, we will be more careful in the future. You've heard about closing the barn door after the horse has gotten out, Moser says. This is locking down the bioweapons lab after a lethal virus has escaped. In China, the power of life and death has indeed passed into the hands of those public authorities who care little for the precepts of the moral law, as Pope St. Paul VI said. Once again, Humane Vitae was right. This is the PRI Review from the Population Research Institute at pop.org. We'll be right back.
By now, we all know that Planned Parenthood is accused in the United States of allegedly violating the law by, among other atrocities, selling baby body parts. But what you might not realize is that Planned Parenthood's affiliates, Planned Parenthood Federation of America, PPFA, and International Planned Parenthood Federation, IPPF, are still getting away with murder overseas. Around the world, and especially in Latin America, the baby-killing giant shades the truth about its abortion-related activities. It runs roughshod over local anti-abortion laws and violates local pro-life sentiment, all with seeming impunity. But not anymore. With your tax-deductible gift, PRI will throw the book at the abortion giants overseas, just as pro-life groups are doing here at home. Did you know that PPFA spends about $38 million a year lobbying to legalize abortion in countries around the world? If they're successful, they can kill as many, if not more, babies overseas as they do in the United States. But there's a hitch. Because abortion remains illegal in most Latin American countries, neither IPPF nor PPFA is eligible for government funding for abortion-related activities as they are in the United States. So PPFA, IPPF, gets around it as only they know how to do, by lying. With a wink and a nod, they disguise the programs they are funding as, quote, education or health programs, women's rights, human rights protection or promotion, and anti-discrimination initiatives aimed at protecting vulnerable groups such as women or LGBTs, that means lesbian, gay, bisexual, and transgender, end quote. Catholic bishops throughout Africa and Latin America complain about this. They call it ideological imperialism, but their voices are not heard in Congress because America's bishops depend on billions in government funding for their own charities. They don't want to bite the political hand that feeds them. Now, PRI receives no government funding, so we aren't hampered by golden handcuffs. That's why your tax-deductible gift to PRI is so important today. As the lead group investigating Planned Parenthood's activities overseas, PRI's Latin American office has uncovered PPFA's thinly disguised efforts to undermine pro-life laws and legitimate abortion on demand. But we've only found the tip of the iceberg, and there is more work to be done, work that we can't do alone. Your tax-deductible gift will help PRI hire a seasoned pro-life legal team to help us expose, investigate, and prosecute Planned Parenthood's affiliates everywhere they prey on women, especially overseas. Together, we'll expose, investigate, and prosecute PPFA and IPPF everywhere it tries to hide the truth. This two-prong attack, complementing the hearings taking place in Washington, will force Planned Parenthood to fight on two fronts. What better way to strike a blow against the real Planned Parenthood, the one we saw in all those horrific videos, than to come at them here and abroad? So please make a tax-deductible gift to support this and all of PRI's baby-saving efforts around the world. Yes, they're powerful. Yes, they're big. But remember David and Goliath. The bigger they are, the harder they fall.
Does the Mexico City policy ban funding for groups that promote abortion abroad? Not for U.S. groups. Jonathan Abamante reports. In 2006, in the West African country of Ghana, five organizations from the United States and the United Kingdom formed a coalition with the sole mission of expanding access to abortion and contraception in Ghana. The coalition included pro-abortion heavyweights Marie Stopes International and IPAS, IPAS. The coalition also included two well-funded and well-resourced U.S. non-governmental organizations known as NGOs, the Population Council and Engender Health. The project was benignly called Reducing Maternal Morbidity and Morality, or R3M. However, in reality, the project sought to engage in intensive advocacy to influence key leaders in Ghana, including physicians, police officers, the Ghanaian Attorney General, and the Minister of Justice. The goal? To increase abortion access. Abortion is illegal in Ghana except in cases of rape, incest, fetal disability, and in cases of life, physical health, and mental health of the mother. A Pew Research Center survey from 2013 found that an overwhelming 92% of Ghanaians found abortion to be morally unacceptable. In 2007, the coalition began a trial phase of the R3M project. Soon after, the program was fully rolled out in three administrative regions in southern Ghana, including Accra, the nation's capital city. By the end of 2012, the project had trained 320 midwives and physicians how to perform abortions. The program had renovated 70 family planning and abortion clinics, built seven new abortion clinics, and built two brand-new reproductive health centers to serve as abortion training centers. The program had successfully convinced law and journalism schools in the country to change their curriculum to teach that abortion access is tied to maternal mortality. Nothing to say about the child, of course. For its own part, the Population Council also developed training protocols and handbooks on abortion for clinical health workers and medical students and trained health care workers how to perform abortions. All in all, according to the Population Council's estimates, the R3M project was responsible for the execution of 122,545 abortions in Ghana. However, throughout the life of the R3M project, both the Population Council and Engender Health were recipients of multiple and substantially sizable U.S. foreign aid grants. This occurred in spite of the fact that, during the first two years of the R3M project, the second Bush administration was in office and the Mexico City policy was also in effect. How did this happen? Wasn't the Mexico City policy supposed to stop funding groups involved in abortion-related activities and groups once and for all? Partly yes and partly no. The Mexico City policy was first introduced in 1984 under the Reagan administration at the International Conference on Population in Mexico City. Reagan's original Mexico City policy banned U.S. foreign family planning funding for foreign NGOs that perform or promote abortion abroad as a method of family planning. But the policy has never banned U.S. funds from going to domestic 
U.S. NGOs that do exactly the same thing. In other words, the policy blocks U.S. foreign aid dollars from funding foreign organizations that promote abortions such as the International Planned Parenthood Federation, IPPF, and Marie Stopes International. IPPF, for example, claims that it has lost $100 million in funding from the U.S. government under the Mexico City policy put in place by the Trump administration. But the Mexico City policy does not apply to U.S.-based NGOs like the Population Council and Engender Health, despite their involvement in promoting abortion in projects such as the Ghanaian abortion scheme described above. The United States Agency for International Development, USAID, Foreign Aid Explorer, reports that when the Bush-Mexico City policy was in place between 2001 and 2008, the Population Council received $127.9 million in U.S. government family planning and reproductive health funding as a first-tier prime grant recipient. And Gender Health received $86.3 million in family planning grants as a primary recipient. And these totals do not even include the amount of U.S. government funding these organizations may have received through subgrants and subcontracts. Under current regulations, U.S. NGOs involved in promoting abortion can still receive grant money for other activities, like family planning, reproductive health, HIV prevention, maternal health, or water and sanitation projects. The only restriction is that no part of the grant can be used directly to pay for abortion-related activities, but they can still continue to perform or promote abortion as much as they wish in foreign countries using their own money and still be eligible for receiving federal government funding. This loophole in the Mexico City policy has allowed hundreds of millions of dollars to continue to flow into the coffers of organizations headquartered in the United States that perform or promote abortion in foreign countries. Mr. Abamante's research shows that U.S.-based abortion-promoting NGOs continue to receive USAID global health grants that dwarf the amount that notorious foreign abortion-promoting NGOs like IPPF and Marie Stopes International have ever received, whether or not the Mexico City policy was in effect. In fact, the Mexico City policy does not even come close to cutting even half of all U.S. foreign aid funding for organizations that promote abortion overseas. Progress made, but more progress needed. When President Trump reinstated the Mexico City policy as one of his first acts as president in January 2017, the policy was significantly expanded to apply to all U.S. global health assistance. All previous versions of the Mexico City policy had applied only to U.S. family planning funding, which is a mere subset of global health assistance. Trump's expansion made the new policy, now called Protecting Life and Global Health Assistance, applies to approximately $8.8 billion of U.S. foreign aid per year. By comparison, congressional appropriations for family planning and reproductive health have stood at no less than $575 million per year since 2011. On March 26, 2019, Secretary of State Mike Pompeo significantly expanded the Mexico City policy again. The policy now prohibits U.S. global health assistance from being awarded directly or indirectly 
to any foreign NGO that performs or promotes abortion as a method of family planning. This policy expansion ends U.S. government funding of foreign aid organizations that provide large donations to international abortion providers, including IPPF and Marie Stopes International. In spite of these two significant expansions of the policy, one major loophole remains. The Trump administration needs to close the loophole that allows U.S. NGOs that perform or promote abortions in foreign countries to receive government funding for other projects. Fortunately, an effort to do so is now underway. On January 23, 19 U.S. Senators and 41 members of Congress signed a letter addressed to Secretary of State Pompeo asking the Secretary to extend the Mexico City policy to U.S. NGOs. Many U.S. NGOs that promote abortion receive substantial funding from the U.S. government. One such organization is Population Services International, known as PSI. PSI is a nonprofit, non-governmental international health organization based in Washington, D.C. PSI works in over 50 countries to increase access to health services through social marketing enterprises and communication strategies. PSI is one of the U.S. government's go-to organizations for implementing family planning and global health programming. PSI openly promotes abortion as one of its core global health activities. Its website clearly states that the organization trains providers in offering safe abortion services, end quote. Such services include the abortion pill, misoprostol, and manual vacuum aspiration, or MVA. Now, that's a device that suctions the unborn child through a tube using a manually operated vacuum pump. Until recently, PSI had a webpage solely devoted to describing its MVA-related activities, in which it had said plainly, we procure manual vacuum aspiration equipment. PSI also operates a project called IGNITE, seeking to increase demand for contraception and abortion in several developing countries. In Mozambique, PSI's IGNITE program in 2017 began operating family planning clinics in 50 secondary schools and enlisted 390 student so-called peer educators to promote clinic services to the student body. Peer educators and clinic staff were trained by PSI to talk to students about abortion and to tell them where they can get an abortion. Following outcry from parents, PSI was forced to close its in-school clinics. They were later moved to off-campus locations immediately in front of the schools. According to the Foreign Assistance Dashboard, Population Services International has been awarded over a quarter of a billion dollars from the U.S. government in prime global health program grants since the Trump administration's new policy went into force. In addition, PSI was also awarded $33 million in subgrants and $23.8 million in subcontracts in the same time. Another U.S. NGO deeply involved in promoting abortion abroad is Pathfinder International. According to its website, Pathfinder International lobbies foreign governments to increase access to abortion, seeking to collaborate with governments in building the capacity of health systems to ensure quality, comprehensive abortion services. Pathfinder International currently runs a program 
in Mozambique and Tanzania, where it supports public health facilities to offer a wide range of quality contraceptive and safe abortion services and works to ensure availability of abortion. In 2018, Pathfinder International launched a campaign to advocate for abortion in Côte d'Ivoire, Burkina Faso, and the Democratic Republic of the Congo. Population Council also continues to promote abortion. Recently, the Population Council concluded a program in 2018 called Step Up, a research project which sought to address the question of how can access to safe abortion be maximized. The Population Council is currently working on a project to expand the Bruce Quality of Care framework to include abortion. That Quality of Care framework is a quality assurance protocol used by family planning programs worldwide. And Gender Health, another U.S. NGO involved in promoting abortion abroad, is currently engaged in, and I quote, expanding access to comprehensive abortion care, end quote, in Ethiopia. According to Engender Health's website, the program supports 424 sites that perform abortions in Ethiopia. From 2012 to 2017, Women's Care Global International, WCG, a California-based NGO, ran a project called the MAX program that sought to increase access to abortion in South Africa and Kenya. WCG claims that through the MAX program, over 230,000 women received safe abortion services. A few U.S. NGOs that the U.S. government frequently partners with on global health programs are not directly involved with performing or lobbying for abortion themselves, but are also major donors to international abortion providers like IPPF and Marie Stopes International. An international development nonprofit called PACT donated nearly $1.7 million to Marie Stopes International in 2016 and 2017 according to Stopes International's financial statements. ABTJTA, a global health consulting firm that frequently partners with USAID, is one of Marie Stopes International's biggest donors. ABT donated approximately $7.7 million to the international abortion provider in 2017 and 2018. When the Reagan administration first announced the Mexico City policy at the 1984 International Conference on Population, the U.S. delegation to the conference declared, and I quote, The United States will no longer contribute to separate non-governmental organizations which perform or actively promote abortion as a method of family planning in other nations. Thirty-six years later, the promise of the Mexico City policy has yet to be fully realized. U.S. foreign aid funding continues to flow to pro-abortion-promoting NGOs based in the United States. It is time for the Trump administration, the most pro-life administration in recent American history, to rectify this fundamental flaw in the Mexico City policy. This has been the PRI Review from the Population Research Institute at pop.org. Thanks for listening. (music) 